Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller, Regional Master Instructor, and as always, here with my dear friend, Miss Wendy Batts, fellow Regional Master Instructor. Wendy, how are you doing today? I was just living a dream. How are you? <laughs> Couldn't be better. As you know, this has got to be one of my favorite parts of the week. We get to hang out, talk about cool topics, and you know, interact with our NASM family. Yes, yes. And today is, a, I think, a fun topic, one that we don't actually talk about often, and um, we are talking about cardiorespiratory assessments. And before we even get too far into the content, I'm going to go ahead and say that Marty and I are going to do one that, you know, that will be more on how to implement programming for cardiorespiratory um, type, whatever these assessments show, we're going to actually help you on the program design part. So just know that that is coming in the near future. And so stay tuned. But today is really focusing more about the assessments. Uh, with the new CPT content that we have added some additional assessments. So we wanted to bring those to the forefront. However, we also wanted to talk about just some of the, I think, underutilized assessments that we have available to really look at the, you know, cardiorespiratory ability of our clients. So therefore, we truly are designing a well-rounded program. Yeah, and I think it's important, you know, a lot of personal trainers, they spend a lot of time on the movement assessments and the resistance training. And I think I'll, I'll say they leave money on the table in the sense that the cardiovascular component is an equal and is important part of the generalized fitness experience as the traditional resistance training, even if you're going through the different phases of, of the model. But I think that when you can do an assessment, just like a movement assessment, you can do a cardiovascular assessment and you get a baseline, it's easier to program. And let's be honest, a lot of people don't love doing cardio on their own and left to their own devices, they'll hit the big green start button They'll do 30 minutes at the same speed, and then they wonder why they don't get any benefit from it. So what I'm going to challenge all of our uh, group here today is study it as we're going to talk about it, learn it. But can you then put this into your business model and make cardiovascular training a part of what you charge for? Because I don't know why, but I just see so many people focus on the resistance side and they're like, OK, go do your cardio. Right. And often, I think to, to your point, Marty, you know, I know a lot of my clients, they're going to go on the cardio pieces that they are more familiar with or more comfortable with, which isn't always the most ideal um, piece of equipment to be on. So, for example, you know, if you're doing the overhead assessment, so some of the transitional assessments and notice a magnitude of, of compensation. So feet turning out, you know, low back arch arms falling forward, and it's mainly due to the hip flexor compl you know, complex and low um, underactive glutes, and, and then they go and sit on just the bike. It's really not going to help. You know, you may do home programs with your clients and give them homework to do. They may really be, you know, 100% focused and all in on their programming with you. However, every, you know, every other day or however often they're going to do cardio, they could actually be doing those repetitive movements that they're doing each and every day that's still feeding into those compensations when they could do something such as an elliptical or other pieces of equipment that could actually benefit them a little bit more in the standing up position and working on trying to get proper movement patterns and even their gait. So just wanted to, to kind of bring that, like I said, before we even get started, because today it is going to be really about just making sure that you guys understand the process, how to set things up, going through just some basic definitions, and then just make sure the execution is correct. So when you get the results, you know that they are, you know, you've done them correctly. So when you reassess, hopefully you're going to notice that they're going to go on, you know, they're going to go from maybe not so great to, to hopefully great within just a few weeks. 
Yeah. And at the end of the day, everybody is aspiring to get results. And, and no matter what a great program I put together for their movement assessment, uh, off their movement assessment into their resistance training, and get them to move better. If their goal is to have better cardiovascular endurance or lose weight, and they're not focused on this as much, they may correlate that back to your skill set as a personal trainer. So that's why it's in the book. It's in the material for a reason, but that's why we're excited to, to bring it to life and see if we can make it a little more digestible and something that you feel more comfortable with putting into your program immediately. Mm -hmm. And also, too, before I, I know I keep saying before we get started, because I guess we really have started. Um, but, you know, if you're always doing the same cardio, your body is going to adapt to those as well. And so we've seen so many different athletes on the professional side. You look at someone like Lance Armstrong, who could ride a bike for three and a half weeks up these crazy mountains and hills, but then had a really hard time and struggled for his first half, you know, well, full marathon, which, again, when you're looking at 26 point, you know, um, what is it? 26.2 miles. That's quite a long way to run. However, when you actually can get on a bike and do this for three and a half weeks, you would think that, oh, he's got great cardiovascular health. Well, he does. However, it was a different type of movement pattern and it's a different process. And so it was extremely difficult. So same thing with your clients. We want to really look in the subjective side, find out what they enjoy, find out what they like, and then make sure when you're programming, if it's something that they always do, maybe this is where you guys can get creative on trying to implement different types of cardio. So they're going to burn more calories because they're using muscles and doing things they're not used to doing. Um, that's also going to help and, you know, challenge and, and challenge them. So therefore they're going to burn more calories, which will also hopefully help them increase their results long-term depending on their goals. Absolutely. And they really blend so well together. I get somebody to move well, I can get them to move more often or move at higher intensities. And I get somebody that can move more often at higher intensities, they become healthier. So it is the yes. complete puzzle piece. Yep. Yeah. The heart is important. So we need heart and lungs. We need to actually make sure we train them. So it's not all about biceps. Oh, well, you know, I don't know more about I'm more of a glute girl. So we'll okay. see about that. <laughs> but it's, you know, today, you know, what are we going to talk about? We're going to just go through some basic definitions, make sure that when we talk about respiratory, you know, fitness, you understand the differences between the fitness side, as well as the assessing, like how you assess the, the different um, types of aerobic versus anaerobic. So we are also going to define those. And then we're going to talk about the different types of assessments that you can consider conducting with your client. But as always, you want to find out what is the end goal. And then at that point, would the different types of cardio assessments out there be safe? Because there are some that are more, um, or, or I should say, there are some different assessments out there that are more geared towards fit in individuals versus people that are more sedentary. So we want to make sure, obviously, we're providing the safest environment possible. And then we're going to discuss, make sure that, you know, again, the setup is everything. So you know exactly when you're supposed to take someone's heart rate or or is it something that's just a talk test and you're just getting a number verbally. So we want to just make sure you guys feel very, uh, you know, just comfortable with what we're going to talk about today. And as always, if you have questions, feel free to uh, throw them here in the comment box and we'll do our best to answer them. Yeah. And as we go through, sometimes we'll pull the questions out and Alexi, I agree. Boxing is amazing. I've done MMA forever. And that is a great way to do some cardio and get people off equipment, get coordination and the, you know, the concentration factor going. So, you know, there are a lot of ways to, to get after that heart rate training depends on what you're skilled at for sure. Mm -hmm. So when we look at cardio respiratory fitness, when you look at the actual definition is the ability of the circulatory and respiratory systems to provide the body with oxygen during activity. So obviously, 
when we're you know working at, at higher intensity, we're going to increase the amount of oxygen that we need as well as is what we're what we're inhaling and exhaling. So so you know we're going to increase our heart rate during these activities. And so when we talk about again the cardiorespiratory assessments, what we're looking at is we want to find a way to measure the aerobic fitness of an individual. We want to find out, you know, can they walk comfortably for so many minutes, or is that taxing them to a level where they feel uncomfortable? And that's really important to know. So again, subjective information up front, which is just the talking one-to-one, -one, is going to be extremely crucial. So you know how much cardio they've been doing, if at all, and have they ever been, you know, are they currently active even in their activities of daily living because walking stairs could really get someone out of breath so if that's something that they struggle with or they have pain and it's uncomfortable putting them on a stair mill would not be ideal so again that's why you know getting as much verbal information as you can is really important and then of course there's two different types of, of um, cardio fitness that we're going to talk about. We're going to look at aerobic, which is where it requires oxygen, your body requires oxygen, or anaerobic, which is where we don't have any oxygen at that point. So again, we're going to talk about the differences of an aerobic test that you can do for long periods of time versus anaerobic that you only have a few short, you know, for short seconds in order for you to, to look at, at those numbers as well. And, you know, I've been asked many times, and we'll probably get more into this even with some of the questions or when we do the program design part or the other portions of this is what's the best cardio to do? It's what somebody will do. And now with that being said, it's what they'll do without causing injury, what they'll do without causing problems. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of runners and they, they run, but they have problems running. So their knee hurts, their back hurts, and they'll keep running. Well, that's not what I mean by what they'll do. So, you know, we can get into some of that at, at another time, but if the question comes up, what's the best cardio it's the cardio that's appropriate for them biomechanically it's the cardio that they'll enjoy and that they can progress with however i will challenge all of you to get people out of their comfort zone because as wendy said with the lance armstrong story is just like we wouldn't want to only do one exercise for chest or one exercise for legs we do want people to move through different planes of motion that's why alexi's comment about boxing getting rotation and doing things different because then they can maybe do cardio longer, find something else they enjoy and not always overload the same patterning. And Wendy, you and I both have trained people who have done cardio for 30 years and they use one modality, they're broken. They're fit in that movement, but they're broken because they've done thousands of hours in a repetitive motion and we need to kind of you know, change that up and get them out of that patterning. Absolutely. And I know there was a question that came up about what about walking 10,000 steps every day? Can I talk about the benefits there or lack of? So Marty, do you want to kind of share sure. yours and I'll share mine after that? So sure. there's been some research out that has said, you know, after a certain amount of steps, maybe it's not as beneficial. But here's how I look at it is I exercise multiple times a week, but I try to be active every day. And the way I say think, you know, talking to a client, not a group of amazing fitness professionals like this is I eat every day. So I need to be active every day, right? So that's why I personally do my mobility work every day and I try to be active every day, but that doesn't mean I have to exercise every day or exercise at high intensities every day. And that's why I love the model and I love our different cardio levels that we'll get into because some days I might go for a sustained walk at 45 minutes just because I want to move. Now for me, a 45 minute walk at a 3.5 mile an hour pace is not exercise, it's activity. Mm -hmm. But we were designed to move every day as human beings. So, you know, 
I will always try to accumulate as many steps as possible, not because I'm trying to change my VO2 max with that type of activity. It's just because the body is a machine that does better when it moves frequently. And then I, I don't count that as my exercise. I said, was I active enough that day? And with my travel schedule and things like that, there are days where I'm not potentially active enough unless I purposely carve that out to make sure. Mm -hmm. you know, and then there's our exercise, which we're going to talk more about specifically. And I think, I mean, I, I think a lot of, of when we hear this too, and we hear about, you know, you need to hit 10,000 steps a day. Um, that's something, you know, that's going to enhance your, um, you know, when people are starting to lose weight. If someone is not active to Marty's point and you have them start walking and the goal is to hit 10,000 steps, then usually what that, what it, that kind of a, um, equals to is anywhere from burning anywhere from 2000 to 35, um, you know, hundred extra calories, if you will, a day. And of course, when you're thinking about that over time, it could end up, if you're doing this every day, it could lead to possibly losing about a pound a week. And so to Marty's point, if somebody's already super active and they're already walking and they're like, okay, now I just want you to hit 10,000 steps, but they already hit, you know, 9,000 steps a day, adding an additional uh, thousand steps may not get them to the weight loss goal because it's not something that's challenging them in a different way. And so that's just, you know, more heart health. And that's something that somebody can say easily challenge yourself to hit 10,000 steps a day because that's a benefit. Now, again, if someone has a ton of movement compensations and their feet are out and they have, you know, pain walking, then I don't think I'm going to challenge my client to do 10,000 steps a day because at that point I'm actually not helping them feel better or move better. I'm just saying, hey, at the end of it, this is your performance goal. I just want you to hit this. That really wouldn't make sense. So that's why all of this in conjunction with the, the subjective as well as the transitional movements, all of it is going to really help you design a program. So when you put these, these clients in challenges or doing certain things, you know it's going to make sense and they actually will end up um, you know, achieving whatever ultimate goal or winning the contest or whatever it is. So, so yeah. And then Marty, before we move on, one more question that came out working with someone that has COPD, what are your thoughts? You know, I've had this, I had a, one of my dear clients that had this and really first and foremost, like we've ever talked about with consult with their physician, consult with their uh, pulmonologist, consult with their respiratory therapist, and you're going to have to be flexible day by day. There are certain times where, you know, my dear client, Mr. Sklar, I could say his name. He's such an amazing person. First question when he came in, I said, okay, one to 10, where are you at today? You know, because the environment, other things would really change it. It's not the same every single day. And there's other conditions that we've all dealt with, whether it's a client with Parkinson's and other things that it, it can be drastically different each and every day. And what I've learned with the small sample people that I've worked with COPD is not every situation is the same, right? So one person's COPD is going to be completely different than somebody else's. So it's really specific and case by case. And what I always found was, and this was working with some great people that specialize in this, is I was focused on not getting to the point where it became a problem for them with their breathing. Cause at that point it's very difficult for them to regain and recontrol mm -hmm. their breathing. So it's always less is more. And you're always walking that fine line of never getting that to, to the point of where now they are starting to be um, affected and then the, the oxygen, et cetera. So this is something that you truly, truly need to speak to specialists and professionals follow those guidelines to a T 
and really be careful on simple things like standing up two or three times in a row could really elicit a drastic change in their breathing pattern. So this is something that I encourage you to do a lot of research on, speak to the specialists that they're working with, follow those guidelines. And if anything, pull back just a little bit until you start to learn how these people respond and knowing that what you did yesterday is not going to necessarily be the same the next time they come in. Yes, I can set it better myself. So <laughs> uh, I know, right? So the first one that we're really going to jump into is the VO2 max and VO2 max. There are a lot of different um, places out there that will conduct a, a true VO2 max. And so as you can see with this individual, you can see he's got a mask. There are different types of things that, that the um, practitioner or health um, provider is reading and then looking at all, at all times. And so one of the things um, you know that it's looking for, it's just your indication of your overall aerobic fitness. And to me, like I said, I've had this done. And if you're not in good shape, it's really hard to to perform you know meaning that if you're not you don't have some kind of base i found some of my clients that did this too it was like oh i got a vo2 max and they didn't last very long and then they felt like a failure and you know but it gave me good, good information to have that information to help them better those overall results so again the markers looking at the overall health and mortality and morbidity we're looking at the you know kind of an indicator on how the heart is actually functioning. And it's letting me know just overall someone's heart health. And then obviously when we're looking at higher VO2 max scores, that's gonna reflect the greater oxygen utilization and capacity for physical work that my client is gonna be able to perform long-term, whether it's even in a program, cardio, if I'm having a sprint day, whatever it may be. So this isn't necessarily just looking at it, okay, they're on a piece of cardio. It's more of if I'm doing high intensity workouts too, what do they have available before they end up getting to the point where they can't move? They're going to be super sore. They're not going to recover very well. So all of that needs to be taken in consideration. And so when I'm also looking at this too, it's not always practical because there is a lot of equipment that you need in order, not a lot, but there is equipment requirements that you must have in order to get a true VO2 max. There is time involved in order for the client to get to a certain level in order to get the most accurate read. And then you've got to make sure that your client really wants to go to that 100% of what they have. So they've got to be able to perform at max capacity. So if you're working with sprinters or athletes, that stuff is very, very important to know. But if you've got a sedentary client that hasn't been working out and moving really, you know, at any kind of intensity for 10 years plus, doing a VO2 max probably isn't going to be as beneficial because you already know that they're starting they're starting low and you want to work their way up yeah and that's a great point 20 and that you know coming from now my side on the equipment manufacturer standpoint is there is a lot of great assessments that will project your vo2 max very accurately that you can do in a fitness center and i have found that i have enjoyed cardio more so because i to me i like to train for a purpose and knowing what the norms are and knowing you know, how can I aspire to get a better VO2 max? So once again, we tend to focus on, you know, what somebody's in the back in the olden days, the one rep max and things like this. People don't, you know, people might be pleasantly surprised to even do a projected VO2 max. And now they have something to work towards where again, at the beginning, I said, let's not just say, okay, go do your cardio. It's such an important part of health and wellness. And we don't generally as an industry program for it. So I think we're missing, you know, a, a big part of what our expertise really should be. Mm -hmm. 
And then if we, you know, if we move on and we look at, you know, the next slide, this is the one that I use probably the most often because it's the easiest and um, it's just the rate of perceived exertion. So basically I'm asking the client on a scale from one to 10, how do you feel? How hard is this? And I'm giving them, you know, they're actually giving me their feedback. So when we say subjective feedback, they're talking to me like, oh, this is only a, th a three. And you can tell because they're talking and they're, you know, they're barely sweating. Maybe there's no elevation that you can notice of, of something that's really taxing them and whatever it is you're having them do. However, if you've got someone that's at a nine or 10, they're pretty much maxed out of what they can. And it's really even hard for them to talk to you. And so again, this actually really does. And if we actually look at the next slide, you're going to see the two different versions. We've got the six to 20 scale, and then we have the one to 10. And so I personally, as well as NASM, which was great, I use the one to 10 because I don't want to know from, you know, people are like, why are you starting me at six? When they think that six is just a foundational, you know, the foundational starting pattern. I want to know from one to 10 right now, how do you feel? And they don't have to think it through versus, okay, starting at six to 20, how do you feel? You know, so, and at that point, when they give me the, the provided feedback, I can look at this chart, you know, or even have charts in the past. I used to have charts that I would just hold up to my clients. So if they couldn't talk, they would just scream out six, you know, I'd be like six, you know, or whatever, or, you know, I'd be like, can you go higher? And they would give me a thumbs up or thumbs down, depending on what I was trying to achieve. And so sometimes having these printed out, laminated, and it's being able to hold it up too will allow them to be able to say, if I say, hey, are you a five? They can give me a thumbs up. You a six, thumbs up, you know, seven. And they'd be like, okay, perfect. So then they didn't even have to talk. Now, granted, it is a talk test. So I want them to talk to me. However, depending on if you got them to the higher levels, that is another way of doing this type. So you kind of know what their limit is as well. Yeah. And on a one to 10, we use that all the time, right? Like on right. one to 10, how bad does this hurt? Or, you know, so it's a scale people are kind of comfortable with. And when I did the talk test, I kind of, when I was prepping my client for it, I was like, okay, zero through three, we can talk as long as we need to three to that six, seven range. You can talk to me, but it'll be a sentence seven and above. You want to slap me for trying to talk to you. you know? <laughs> so, yeah, we've all been there, right? Like after you're like, seriously, you're talking to me right now. Can't. So that's kind of the parameters mm -hmm. that I utilized, you know, as I was explaining it to them. So, but totally. And, and Lisa made a good point. I mean, it can be faulty for some clients. Absolutely. Because they, you know, again, they may think that they're working hard, but they're still able to hold a conversation and they're like, I'm a 10. And you're like, no, there's no way you're a 10, but okay. But you learn more about your client. Yeah. But that's also Wendy, sorry, I interrupt is in my head, they could tell me what they want, but if they can complete paragraphs, they're, they have more <laughs> gas in the tank. If they can talk and there's an interruption here and there, I know they're mid-level. And if they can't talk at all, then I know where they're at. So I kind of use that also secretively to, to be like, really, are you sure you're at a 10? We just had a 30 second conversation. Right. Well, here's a great question. I think, Marty, that that you, because of what you do and your background um, in the company that you work for, you know, how accurate are the fitness trackers that they give, you know, that give you information about VO2 max and are they reliable? This is interesting. Um, <laughs> it's a loaded question, but that's why I wanted to go to you. <laughs> yeah. And again, and the reason I say that is I'm passionate about the science. That's why I am all in on an ASM and I'm all in on my, and my full-time job because science is always going to be the best. There are some equipment out there that overestimate calories, overestimate distance. 
with the heart rate, there's some that'll be more accurate than others if you're using the hand sensors because there's different levels of technology and or uh, how the equipment would be built. When you're looking at the externals now, we shift a heart rate monitor. As long as the Wi-Fi and the communications within that, uh, that monitor you know, can connect, now you're going to be pretty consistent. But the key thing here is if you're using one piece of equipment, if it's inaccurate, it's consistently inaccurate, right? So that way you still will know, you know, okay, but if you bop from machine to machine or manufacturer to manufacturer, don't be surprised if there's a difference. And again, it's not just in the heart rate, it's also in the calorie calculation or on a fixed piece of equipment. So I know this isn't the topic, but we are talking about cardio, but like on ellipticals. There are some brands that you'd work out for half hour. It said you went six miles. Some <laughs> you'd work out for 30 minutes. You they would go two and a half. And I'm like, you didn't go 12 miles an hour on average, right? But it doesn't matter. If that's what that number is, you're going to base your work intensity off that. But what I always go back to is the rate of perceived exertion because that is me understanding my body. I do think that the information is getting more and more accurate, especially with the heart rates. Uh, you know, technology continues to improve, but then there's the user error as well. Sometimes they don't use it right and things like that. But overall, I think we're moving in a, in a much better direction than we used to. My only pause to it is I don't track calories because right. well, there are a lot of manufacturers that overestimate that because it's emotionally rewarding. So what I always say when you wrap it up is overestimate the amount of calories you eat, underestimate the amount of calories you burn. <laughs> And that is a, a perfect way of, of looking at everything because I'm like, there's no way I only burnt, you know, burned 400 calories today when I ran harder than I've ran in months. And then the other day it said that I, you know, burned way more calories than I did the day that I just did this intense workout. So it, you kind of want to look at it as like an average in, and for when you're looking at equipment too, one of the number one, like you said, user error, one of the number one reasons for some of those errors is how someone's wearing their piece of, you know, whatever tracker they have. For example, I'm wearing a whoop and my whoop, if it's too loose and it moves around a lot, it's not to my skin that's staying put or if somebody's really sweaty and it slides a lot or if someone is wearing a heart rate monitor and they're hairy on their chest, it may not be up against their skin accordingly, so you know, or properly. So therefore it's not getting the reads that you would want if somebody had it, you know, snug fit in the exact place each and every time. Plus there's also saying too, that, you know, if you wear like one on your, your fingers over wearing stuff on your wrist, that may even be more accurate. So it just, again, it depends on the marketing. It depends on the company. And as Marty said, it really depends on user error. However, if you're wearing the same tracker, you're wearing it the same way each and every time you're going to get a good read of what seems to be the norm for you or your client. And then you can just make sure if they need to push themselves harder or if they went too hard that day, just it's an average thing and you have to get to know their equipment their body and then again how how do they feel so even always coming back to this even with those numbers is always a good find for you and it's only going to help you um just kind of get more information so wendy just said she's wearing a, a whoop i am wearing a whoop see so um i Oh, there's the accuracy of the whoop. Okay. <laughs> how was your sleep last night, Wendy? <laughs> uh, we, we don't need to talk about that. Um, however, again, I've had mine for over a year. Uh, so somebody wanted to know what are my thoughts on the accuracy of the whoop? Uh, it depends. And sometimes I feel like it's pretty spot on. And other times I'm like, you know what, even if I, I'm just gonna, not even using the, 
the cardio were kind of getting off track, but even on, you know, sleep, I know that I went to bed at a certain hour. I know I got up at a certain hour and it says time in bed is completely off. So there are times, but again, I think it might be if I, you know, I moved or, you know, something happened. And so, I mean, to me, it gives me, gives me a goal. It lets me see kind of throughout the day how I'm doing. And I think that's with any fitness tracker, not just the whoop. And again, I'm not saying it's good or bad. It just allows me some data. And I always want to know that. Um, same thing when, you know, people wear the aura ring and the whoop. Some people think that, you know, the aura ring gives better data for certain things and the whoop gives better data for other things. I just didn't have a baseline. So I wanted something. And because I'm sticking with it, I can see my really good days and bad days. And then I do a comparison. So all right, so back to what we're talking about, which is the assessments. Uh, <laughs> and this is for our producer. I'm Wendy Batts here with Marty Miller. And today we're talking about the cardiorespiratory assessments. And we are going to now go into the YMCA three-minute step test. And so, Marty, do you want to take us through this one? Sure. This has been around for a long time, and it's it's great. It's it's simple. It's safe. And it's been, you know, tested for, man, I, I don't know when it came out, but it's been out longer than I think I've been in the industry, which is a while. <laughs> so the beauty of it is it's you don't need an expensive piece of equipment. So it's in your book. If you're NASM certified, we have it in there. You'll see it. It's the you know, test that it's going to measure your cardiovascular fitness three minutes, just like the, the, the name of it implies at about a stair stepping at a, a specific cadence. So it's good to have that metronome to where nowadays we used we can do it on our phone. I'm sure there's an app where back in the day we had a metronome. So this is great for deconditioned clients by having them complete this test uh, at a 12 inch step. We do want a standardization, which is very easy to get a 12 inch step or the low plyo box. And then we, you know, cardiovascular fitness is evaluated from the recovery heart rate rather than from the estimate of VO2 max. So great for low risk, apparently healthy, non-athletic adults is that population that you could use this for. And I know a common question that we either will get today or or that I've gotten in the past when we've talked about this, you know, do I have to use a 12 inch box? And as Marty said, right from the start, it needs to be consistent. So if a client, if a 12 inch box isn't safe for your client or you don't have one available, then use something a little bit lower. But each and every time you conduct this, the same test, you're utilizing the same you know inch box. So don't do a six inch one time, an eight inch another time, a twelve inch another time. You want to make sure that the demand that you're asking for for these three three um, minutes are consistent throughout your assessment process each and every time. However, standard again is a twelve inch box, and that's why it's written like that. But you know, again, if, if we look you need at the, to adjust down, yeah. Yeah, you know, we want it to be safe and we wanted to, you know, and plus it gives you a good read of how does your, your client look by doing something continuous? Does their foot start to turn out? You know, are they really having to use their arms to get up? Are they leaning too far forward? So how can they perform this test too when you're looking at their movement patterns? To me, I always am, you know, always assessing because I'm always watching. And so it's amazing how, you know, certain individuals that are apparently healthy or say that they're super healthy, how they struggle with this and other people that are like, Oh, I don't know about this. They perform it really well. And that kind of brings us even to the next slide here. When we're talking about, you know, like, you know, how do you perform this? Always make sure that your client understands the protocol. What is it that you're looking for? And, you know, if you know that your client commonly has their feet turn out or their knees cave in, and, but you know that this is going to be an appropriate test for them based on your experience and your, you know, your feeling and process that you've gathered up to this point, then go ahead and have them foam roll, have them perform certain static stretches, have them do some activation exercises if needed. 
But at any given time, you're going to say for three minutes, this is the cadence that you're going to do, kind of show, tell, do, just like you would with any other exercise, and let them know that at any given moment, if they feel dizzy, if they start to get chest pains or the shortness of breath where it's really uncomfortable, then at that point, you, you just say, hey, shut it down. Because again, safety is always going to trump everything. And ideally, what we're looking for is that the client is going to perform 96 steps at a specific cadence each and every time that every time they're here, you know, they're up and they're down. And then as soon as that test is over, you're going to have the client is going to sit down with with you and you're going to palpate the radial portion of the wrist. So as you can see, as the picture indicates, that's where you're going to put your fingers and then you're going to measure the number of heartbeats over 60 seconds and record that number. And then if you look in your textbook, there's actually ratings, like a range of ratings that'll say from poor to excellent. And then at that point, you're going to determine where does your client fit into that? So a couple of things, Marty, I think as an athletic trainer, we, you know, I think it's important to talk about taking the, the radial test, you know, radial pulse. So do you want to talk about things to avoid or proper positioning maybe? Yeah, sure. So it's one of those things where anytime you try something new, you should have practiced it before. <laughs> so don't just, you know, walk in with day one. And I know this is um, something that you're not going to learn hands on when you take your NASM CPT class. So maybe you are going to work in a facility where you can have someone teach you how to do it. The key thing is one, you're not going to use your thumb because your thumb has a pulse in it and you're going to confuse yourself. And two, you want to use your first two fingers and it's, it's a light pressure. You don't want to push down to where you're going to cause any pain or discomfort or maybe, you know, decrease somebody's uh, flow to, you know, the blood flow to their hand. So this is something you want to practice with yourself, taking your own heart rate for periods of time. That's how we learned it. We'd have to do it after every single time we worked mm -hmm. out. And then I started to learn to practice on healthy people like, you know, our spouse now or people around you. And then from there, you gradually can then obviously if you feel comfortable with it, then you can perform it with, you know, your clientele. So it's definitely a, a, a practice. Nowadays, there's so many videos on YouTube, et cetera, that you'd be able to learn how to do it where back in the day, we, no, there wasn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're, we're aging ourselves each and every time we do these, by the way. But, oh, uh, <laughs> all right, so let's talk about it, the next one. So when we look at another type of assessment that you can consider, of course, we're going to go into, <laughs> Sorry, uh, the Rockport walking test. And so this, again, is an aerobic test that's for deconditioned clients. And so those with the low level fitness in which, you know, we're all I'm having them do is they're going to walk as fast as they can for a mile. So we're going to just have them what we may see as fast, they may see as slow and vice versa. So, again, you're just going to say as fast as you can, I'm going to have you complete and walk one mile. And so what we're looking for is, you know, this is going to help predict the maximal, you know, oxygen consumption from either a time performance or even the heart rate response. So, you know, you're going to have to determine, you know, which way you're looking at this. But it's really good for people who are low risk. You want to make sure it's good for people um, that are new maybe to the gym because, you know, it's not hard to perform. Most people know how to walk. And so you're not really showing them some kind of fancy moves. And, you know, this is good for non-athletic adults because it kind of lets you see, too, what is their pace. And Marty's like, oh, I can walk, you know, 3.5 or 3.5 on a treadmill and that's nothing. And that may be, you know, where someone feels like they're almost at a jog because it's really, really challenging for them. Now, one big 
you know, key, you know, note that I wanted to make sure was on this slide here is it's not designed for individuals is because when you're looking at it, it really may underestimate someone's VO2 max. And so, you know, back in the day when we were talking about the, you know, the, the different types of formulas of trying to determine, you know, um, you know, what, what are your different ranges that, you know, more people that had better fitness, sometimes those numbers would be you know, skewed because they're, they're, it wasn't correct. Same thing with this type of thing. If someone's deconditioned, the rock, you know, Rockport walk test is usually safe. And so if we go to the next slide and we, you know, we kind of think about something like that, we can talk about other types of tests that, um, you know, that they could perform, but, you know, as always, we're looking at specific, tell them what it is you're going to do, discuss the protocol. If someone goes in and they think you're assessing them, they're automatically going to have increased heart rate. They're going to get nervous and they're not understanding what it is they're supposed to do. So just make sure that your client has good shoes, which hopefully if they're in the gym, you've already discussed that they're in appropriate footwear. Um, if you once again need to warm them up, warm them up, terminate as needed. So if they're feeling dizzy, chest pains, all that is always going to be pretty much, the, I think that's pretty standard across every assessment. We never want to put somebody in like any kind of state where they're, you know, having these issues, but super simple. I just want you to walk on the treadmill. I want you to put, put the, um, you know, put it up as, as fast as you can and walk that, that, you know, without holding on because you, you know, most people, especially if you're doing this on a treadmill, they're going to want to hold on to the sides. I want you to walk like you're normally going to walk. And, you know, and then at that point, if you need to help them, you know, like you can help pace them so they understand kind of like what you're hoping for. But you want to make sure, too, that they're they're not running, they're not jogging, that they're just walking and it's just as quick as they can. And then at that point, you're, we're going to record the time it took to complete that one mile rock or walk. You're going to look again in your NASM book under the ratings and then you're going to say from poor to excellent. Where does that person fit in based on their time? Yeah, and I think it's key to have a battery attest because you don't know who's coming in. Right. You may have a test that you prefer to use the most, but you may choose the three minute YMCA test is better for some people. This is better for some people. That's why go through these yourself, do them yourself, practice them on people that you know can easily do them on like on your team, on your staff, just so you get used to it. And then now you have multiple assessments, just like we do in movement assessments. You can start to decide what is best for that client each and every time you assess somebody. Absolutely. And it doesn't take, you know, if you want to do this in your, you know, your assessment day, it actually gets their heart rate up. They can talk to you or, you know, maybe they can't talk to you depending on, on, you know, how, how they are feeling and how well they're doing, but because they're not running or jogging, you know, if they're in pretty good health and you did this, it was, I don't want to say it's a waste of time, but at that point, you know, that there was something a little bit more challenging that maybe had could be better data. So to your point, Marty, it's good to have, have as many as you can under your wing. Absolutely. So that brings us then to the one and a half mile run test. Do you want to talk about this one? Yeah. So this is something I would make Wendy do first day. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> exactly. So obviously just, just from the explanation of it, this is, you know, somebody's either a runner or more fit. This isn't something that you're going to break out day one and be like, well, we do it with everybody. So obviously this is going to be an aerobic test that will measure your cardiovascular or cardiorespiratory endurance. You have to complete a mile and a half. That's the goal. So this is, again, not for beginners. So as you see here, the bullet points on the slide, the key focus things that we want to factor, factor here is can this be, you know, you can do it on a track or a treadmill. I'm just going to tell you a treadmill is a little bit harder because on a treadmill, it 
is helping you propel yourself. But as long as it's standardized, that's okay. The, the results aren't going to ask you differently if you did it on a track or a treadmill. Just understand that if the first time I did it was on a track, the second time I did it was on a treadmill, you know, there could be a slight difference. But just want to bring that out. So, you know, uh, we're going to score their time performance and then heart rate response using, again, to estimate VO2 max. Mm -hmm. And then if we, you know, I mean, there's really not much to, to say other than, again, the same things are going to, we're going to look for dizzy. If there's shortness of breath, they have heart, you know, heart pain or anything like that. We want it to be something that's successful, but it's also, I love this one because it's easy to do. And all you're saying is, okay, this is how far you're going to run. And you're either giving them a number on the treadmill or a number on the track. And, and then at that point, you're just going to gather the data, look at the sheet and that, there you have it. Pretty simple. So. <laughs> all right so we got to simple to to have someone do it a little bit harder on the person doing it right and so and you know and so when you're seeing this too again you're not going to see anything different because you know if somebody has a specific pace that they want to hit as well then you can pace them and that's one of the big things too more more professional athletes or people on a higher you know um elite level may need a pacer because they want to see okay can i do this in a short amount of time if so i need to run at this pace and then you're going to clock and see if they can do it now again you know to me that would be more not necessarily an, an assessment because i want to see what they can do on their own however it could be necessary depending on what the outcome is and why you're doing that particular test um, another thing too is when you get the information you're going to look at the client's age and then you're going to look at their score and then again you're going to rate them accordingly so you know we didn't want to put all the different you know rating sheets on this because we would have been here all day but that book the new cpt7 book is phenomenal and really saying from poor superior look at this look at this and this is your answer and so you know the ideal goal here is just you're going to complete the distance as quick as you possibly can. You're going to look at where you fit into that level. And each and every time you're going to try to, to run a little bit faster based on on hopefully the, your training because they're going to move, move better, perform better, and then hopefully be able to um, be a little more powerful as well. Absolutely. All right. So moving right along, look at us. So the talk test, you know, this one. You're just going to talk to your client here. You're going to look at the anaerobic, you know, it's an aerobic test again that now we're going to measure, um, you know, the, the ability of your client to talk to you and hold a conversation during an activity at, you know, various intensity levels. So, you know, can they continuously talk to you? And if they can, then you know that they're going to be able to go up a little bit higher. And so ideally what we're looking at is we're just trying to gauge the intensity of the activity that the client you know, has different markers. So the metabolic markers and, you know, when they can hold a conversation, meaning, you know, are they breathing heavy? Are they sweating profusely? You know, is there certain things happening within the body that I can visually see? And so this is appropriate for all ages because we're not giving them something, you know, specific that they have to do. You just may provide a challenging exercise that may be challenging for them. And you're just going to see how they do you know, um, through a talk test, and then you're going to take note and go from there. Like you said, cut, you know, cut and dry, easy to do. <laughs> yes. All right, Marty, you want to take us through V1 tests? Absolutely. So this is newer material that we've put in our more recent update. So this is really fun and in, uh, interesting stuff that you can utilize. So this is now that ventilatory threshold test. So VT1 and then 
in a couple slides, you're going to see VT2. There's That's why we numbered it. So the definition here, just to get us on the same page, point at which the body uses an equal mix of carbon and fat as the fuel source, that 50-50 mix. It can be performed on any device. So you can bike, you can treadmill, et cetera. So question is, why are we doing it? What does it assess? So this helps with, you know, progresses into intensity and relies on the interpretation of a way that a person talks to determine a specific event in which the body would begin to met, 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 metabolize metabolize or the metabolism undergoes a significant change. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's a tough one to say. Metabolism. That's what I meant. Aerobic <laughs> test that replies on that steady state heart rate. So we're trying to keep the heart rate at a certain point. We're not looking for those high intensity spikes and that recovery. We're looking at a steady state. So this is appropriate for all populations. So this is good for whoever comes in. This is something that you can utilize with everybody. Yep. And if we go to the next slide, we're going to actually show you because it's new. We wanted to make sure that you guys had exactly how to perform this and what exactly we're looking at. So as always, you're going to discuss the protocol and then you're going to decide what is the exercise modality that you want to use or you think is more appropriate for your client. So again, if you're going to end up using a treadmill, are we looking at the speed of the treadmill? Are you going to have them on a specific speed and then look at the incline? Are you going to have them on a bike or whatever it is? You're going to have to determine what it what it is for that. And then you're going to look at the workload accordingly and so you know determine at that point the duration of each stage so we're looking at ideally between one to three minutes but what we're trying to look at is steady state meaning that if i'm at like a specific you know speed or specific incline again utilizing a treadmill can i maintain that for a certain amount of time as marty said without a spike or without a drop and then at that point, as soon as I know that my steady state is attained, then at that point, I can increase it. And the way that you can do this and why it's appropriate for everyone is because you're conducting still a continuous talk test and you want them to be able to talk to you for at least 20 seconds. And so it's a really, really good idea to either have a lot of different topics that you're going to discuss or that you're going to say, okay, I want you to go through the alphabet. A is for apple, B is for boy, C is for cat. And then you're going to have them do that, you know, continuously for 20 seconds. So whatever, you know, is easier for you. And, and then at that point, you're just making sure that that steady state is the same. And then you're looking for when it starts to become challenging or, you know, but when I say challenging, it's not, not so difficult, you know, meaning that they're starting to then have, trouble, you know, continuing versus it being like, you know, you feel like they're going to fall off the treadmill or something like that. We're not trying to get to that point, but then it's also not like I'm talking to you right now. And as soon as you find difficulty or some challenging ways of this, um, then you're going to say your B, you know, BT1 is complete. And at that point, you're going to record the client's heart rate and you're going to record the speed or wattage or incline or whatever it was. Um, at that point, and that's going to be your your key um, indicators each and every time. And so the big question that I always get when we're talking about this, well, how do I how do I evaluate the challenge of this? Like, how do I know? Well, was it choppy? You know, was it interrupted? Was it something that wasn't a continuous talk? And at that point, as soon as it's not continuous, it's done. You know, and then you can always too ask the client, you know, how, how hard is the, you know, how hard was this? What was the challenge? And so we're looking at it. Was it easy? Was it, you know, was it nearly impossible? And you want it to just be uncomfortable or challenging. However, you want it to be successfully done. And then you are going to have to listen to the client and how they're breathing. So when it becomes audible, 
then that's going to be sign, you know, or if you can start to see rib elevation because they're really having to breathe heavy, then at that point, you're going to know right there, they're done. And so, you know, if you're not sure and you think that it, you think that's where they are, you're going to note that. But what I would suggest doing is go up one stage higher and then just see how they do. And if you know that at that point it became extremely challenging, that it was really difficult to talk and everything like that, that you hit the right stage and had it recorded because sometimes it's really hard to tell. And so as long as it's not too intense for someone to go one step above because we want it to be challenging, but not too difficult, they should be able to go to one step safely. And then you're going to have a really good read. Well, said. there you go. <laughs> So, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, the, the VT2, so I'll take this, Marty, and then you can kind of walk through the process if you want. But, you know, basically right. we're looking right now where glucose is going to provide nearly all of the energy for the activity that you're performing. And so at this point, your body's going to rely heavily on your anaerobic energy system where that's going to begin to overwhelm the blood's, the blood's lactic acid, geez, and buffering capacity. And so what are we looking for? As Marty says, you know, too, it's like, we're trying to find out how someone's, you know, how they are at a high intensity work level. So, you know, this is a really good, you know, um, way to find out how you're going to set them up for success when you're designing different programs. Uh, people, especially that have performance centric goals. And so we're looking at the level at which the body can work at its highest sustainable steady state intensity for more than a few minutes. And so this right here is going to be very critical of measuring their athletic performance because the intensity is immediately, um, you know, it, you're looking at their performance immediately before a specific level represents the exercise pace. And so when Marty goes through it, there's a specific timing that you're looking at with this. And we're looking then at the last few minutes and then recording accordingly. So if we go to the next slide, Marty, you can kind of take us through what we're looking at and why and then how we record it. Yeah. So as Wendy was saying in the previous VT1, you're going to let everybody know ahead of time. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what the, the changes are going to be. So there's going to be no difference in the communication. Now, with the VT2, we're definitely going to make sure that there's got to be some type of warm up because we are looking to take people to higher intensity. So just be consistent with what that warm up is. You could use your corrective exercise, that targeted warm up, the foam rolling, static stretching into some activation, into maybe a, a dynamic movement or two, or a couple minutes on the cardio before you then establish this test. So just make sure it's consistent and everyone's properly warmed up. So we're going to talk about um, that. Then we're going to increase the intensity to that predetermined pace. So everyone could be a little different, obviously, depending on their conditioning level. Then remember that the clients needs to hold that pace for 20 minutes. So we may need to adjust, but the goal is if they're fatiguing at five minutes, we way overshot. We're looking for them to be able to hold that pace for 20 minutes. We'll record the client's heart rate and marker of performance during the last five minutes. So this is fabulous. If you have a heart rate monitor that's synced to the piece of equipment, it makes it so much easier. So I would highly recommend finding some technology. We already talked about a little bit of it before. So whether it's heart rate monitor, the whatever wearable that that person likes to wear, just make sure it's consistent and you've got it uh, secured and you know performing the, the way it's supposed to be performing. And then we're going to use the average heart rate collect over the last five minutes, then correct that number to 95% to estimate the client's VT2. 5% corrections needed because of that 20 minute pace is usually more intense than the, when a client's performing a 30 to 60 minute test. So 
we when we look at the algorithms and the projections, we know that there'd be a fatigue factor setting in when you're looking at a longer test. But because we're shortening the test, one more people can do it. It's more palatable to people to do a 20 minute test. That's where that factor of taking off the 5% comes in. And the key thing is then be consistent. And this is done after the 20 minutes. Yep. So 20 minutes and that's it. So you got to think too, when your clients come in, they may come in for an hour. You may want to perform, you know, perform this in the very beginning of, you know, as Marty said, do all your, what I call the extended warm up stuff that's going to be appropriate to get someone to move efficiently when they do this. But if somebody truly wants to know their, you know, VT2 and you want to get some really good information, they really want to see where they are on a performance level. I think this is a fantastic test um, because it was new. I actually tried it with some of my clients. It was really easy to conduct. You just want to make sure, as Marty said, you've got, you know, I wanted them to have a heart rate monitor so I could actually just look at their watch when they were doing it because they had the strap on. I trust, you know, more of a, you know, a Garmin type watch than I do actually going off of the piece of equipment. However, whatever it is that you're using, you just want it to be pretty standard. And, you know, in 20 minutes we were done. And then I just took all of those inf that information. And later on, when I was done with the client, I didn't do it right then and there. I was able to look at everything from their movement assessments to everything. And then also utilizing this test um, to kind of help me really design a pretty good, well-rounded program. So I like it. It, yep. it was easy. It was fun. And, you know, for 20 minutes, you're just watching your client run as fast as they can. But I think it's very important, like Marty said, don't aim too high because 20 minutes they have to, you want them to be at the hardest 20 minutes that they can handle. However, you want to, you know, adjust accordingly. So, all right. So Marty, someone's asked, how is this helpful for those looking to increase their anaerobic threshold? I was not sure if Wendy mentioned that. Well, anybody that's uh, looking to increase their anaerobic threshold, any of the cardio assessments are important. It just depends where on the spectrum is their beginning point, right? So whether it's someone that's totally deconditioned, has never exercised, you may use the three, the YMCA three minute. For somebody that's been training for a period of time, you may use VT2. All that is a part of the process to find out where they are currently as you either start your relationship with them or is this a checkpoint after four to six weeks of training? From there, as you are more specific in your training and as you train either longer duration or higher intensities or both, you're going to see an improvement in your anaerobic threshold. So if you're an elite runner and or elite swimmer, obviously those training protocols are very specific. And that's where sometimes people do bring in coaches that focus on you know, division one swim coaches or you know, coaches that are have been doing crew forever. Uh, you know, we've done stuff obviously in the past with Ironman coaches, generalized fitness, obviously everything we have in the book will cover what you need to put them through safe and effective training protocols over a period of time to increase their anaerobic threshold and their VO2 max. There you go. All right. So our key takeaways today is really just, I mean, these, these are a little bit different because obviously we're not talking necessarily right now about the OBT model, but, but you, to just, you could have put assessments in there, Wendy. I never thought about that because this is still an assessment. Well, how about this? Know which assessments are safe and appropriate for your client. You so it could be not just cardio respiratory, but we could also could be talking. Exactly. It could be talking about the transitional component of making sure that if your client can run, jump and whatever, that you're performing the, things in the safest manner possible. So again, know which one's appropriate. You want to think about the proper setup. And guys, again, really going through that chapter, 
I mean, just even as a review for me, I was like, oh, you know what? I, you know, I really don't utilize this one. And I, maybe I should because, you know, I am pretty standard with the talk test, the RPE and now V1, V2. And, um, you know, but the big thing is, is just make sure that you know exactly what you're supposed to do once they're done with the test. Do you take their pulse? Are you looking at their time? Are you, you know, like, did you set it up correctly? Is it based on speed, incline? Is there a difference? You know, um, and just make sure that each and every time you're performing something that it's actually following a specific protocol so you can actually reassess and make sure that you get the correct numbers. Um, you know, always, always, always watch and monitor that client closely. So you want to make sure to to your to we said this in the PowerPoint, it's written in the book. We would say it, you know, out on the street. If a client starts to like get really flush, they start to look like they're kind of losing it a little bit. You start to see them get dizzy, shut it down, especially if they're on like a piece of equipment, because you don't want someone to get dizzy when they're you know on a treadmill. Um, and then all of a sudden they lose their balance fall and that could lead to serious injuries um, long term just when you're trying to do an, a, a, you know, a basic assessment. So always monitor your client. And then, of course, record the information um, as, as instructed. But then just like any other assessment, reassess every four to six weeks. Make sure that, you know, you're seeing an increase in the one and a half mile run. You know, their time should increase. Also, when they're running, watch their gait see what's happening in their movement patterns, see what happens when they get tired. Um, so always be assessing even when you're assessing um, in different in different ways, because it can really, really help you. Excellent points, Wendy. And I think we have time here for a question from Amber. What if your client's obese? And I'll jump in here on this one. Sure. I don't, I know it's easy to generalize someone that's obese is deconditioned, but I have, I have a friend who by the charts, he's 6'4", probably 240 pounds. Well, what do you know? He was an Olympic uh, water polo player and he does a hundred mile, those long endurance races. If I judged him walking in the door and admit his body fat, I would be like, oh my God, this guy's never going to make it. His VO2 max was in the high sixties. So look at that as a part of the complete picture of a person, but don't judge them by that. Because you, you might be shocked at this person might have been has might have swam for the last six years or this, that, the other. It's a piece of the puzzle, but that's why we have that client intake form. We build rapport. We try to figure it out as you start to find out their current activity level, their aches, their pains, their injuries, their goals. You'll know if that body weight is a, is a problem for their conditioning currently. And then we gave you a, a, mag, a, a really good array of tests from a beginner's all the way to the advanced. So it's a piece. Mm -hmm. But I definitely don't judge a book by its cover because you'd be shocked how some people who, quote unquote, are carrying some extra body weight can crush it cardiovascularly. Yes. And, and to your point, I mean, you know, when you say obesity, they may be carrying more weight. It may be harder on their joints. And so, you know, maybe, you know, if we were talking about the Rockport test and we were talking about just walking one mile, could they walk that one mile without, you know, issues in their, you know, their ankles, their knees, their hips? You know, do they walk already? And maybe you can still get a good, you know, good, um, foundation of, of where they started on day one. But again, if they haven't been moving much, they're super sedentary. 
they're, you know, and, and none of these tests apply at this point, then just start, you know, having them do little, little bits and pieces and start using the RPE scale, you know, even if it's okay, today, we're going to walk five minutes on the treadmill or today, I'm going to put you five minutes on the bike, whatever it is. And I want you to try to get to a level where it would be a six on a one to 10 scale. I mean, that's where you guys could really, you know, um, benefit by having some of those charts laminated, because at that point, you know, you could just say, give me an up and down or, or talk to me or whatever it is. And, um, you know, just the big thing too, you know, with obese clients, because I had this as well. Um, I had someone that was very, very heavy. And you want to make sure too, that if you are going to utilize a piece of equipment to perform any of the assessments, or even a piece of equipment in the gym, you want to make sure that it can withhold the amount of weight that they weigh. And so there are certain, you know, there are certain pieces of equipment out there that has a 350 pound max, um, you know, limit to some of these some of these pieces. And so therefore you don't want somebody that's four plus getting on that and then it break because it's embarrassing for them. It's not good for your, you know, it's not, you know, obviously that piece of equipment is now out of order. So it's definitely not good for the gym, but you also just want to think, how would you feel if that was you and on the, you know, and you're in their skin. So just be very careful, but just because they're obese doesn't mean that they can't do, do things because the, you know, the charts and BMI and stuff, it's crazy now looking at some of these numbers of, of people that fit within that category. Absolutely. All right. Well, you guys can contact me as always at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then my email is right there, marty.miller at nasm.org. Instagram, dr.martymiller72. And as always, Wendy, it's a pleasure hanging out with you, going over some amazing topics. And we will come back in a few weeks or so with some more cardiovascular content. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining. We look forward to seeing you again soon.